And of the blessings that we are to count, that is the greatest, that uh, he would save us, and uh, especially when you consider who we were, right? It's not like we were all Mr. or Miss uh, Lover of God. Um, we were his enemies. We were his, we were ungodly, we were without strength, and uh, he still died for us. And uh, I appreciate that about the Lord, and so that is something to be thankful for each and every day. Well, uh, we're continuing on with our series uh, on Bible doctrines and uh, looking at the major Bible doctrines. We're still in the second one. Uh, the first one was Bibliology, the importance of the Scriptures. And uh, then we now are in the second one on Theology, looking at uh, the doctrine of God and um, we're now looking at the names of God. And last Wednesday night, we started this, and we covered several of them. And uh, just by way of review, we looked first at Elohim. And Elohim uh, refers to God's power and might. And, of course, remember we just sung about that a little bit ago when we sang, I sing the mighty power of God. He does have all power. And when... Uh, the Bible says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Elohim is used in that particular uh, reference there. And then we saw um, El and uh, some uh, compound words, compound names for the name El. We looked at El Roy, uh, the strong one who sees. And uh, we need to be reminded that God does see us in our need and in our situation, uh, no matter if anyone else knows, God does know, He does see, and uh, Elroy speaks to that. El, the next one, El Eleon, the strongest strong one, and uh, we, we know that He is the strongest strong one. There is no one stronger. Uh, you say, well, the devil is a strong one. He is, uh, but he's not stronger than the Lord. And uh, we know that. So El Elyon uh, speaks to that. And then third one here under that, we saw El Shaddai. And uh, that speaks of the fact that God is the Almighty One and uh, the All-Powerful. And uh, again, speaking of God's power, uh, we know that He is able to do exceeding... Well, let me, let me read that verse in, uh, in Ephesians. Let's, let's turn over to Ephesians real quick and... Just let your eyes rest upon this verse because Paul just kind of adds all these different, I guess, adverbs. I think that's the correct English terminology for these particular descriptive words here. But verse number 20 of Exodus, or Ephesians chapter 3, I said to 3, Exodus 3.20, says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. This is El Shaddai here. Uh, now unto him that is able to do, he, he could have just said, above all that we ask or think. And that would have been amazing. But he added these two words, exceeding and abundantly. Remember last Sunday night, we talked about the word abundantly where that means overflowing, uh, superabundant, exceeding. And so he is able to do more than we can ask or think. 
And so uh, just let that verse kind of hang in your heart as we go through this life and as we go through whatever season you're going through in your individual life and as we go into when you drive up to the gas pump, uh, let this verse uh, come into your mind, okay? As you put your 401k into the, the machine there, <laughs> there it goes, bye-bye. <laughs> and you have a funeral for your 401k, uh, just in order to fill up your, uh, your gas tank, okay? Uh, but still, look, God is still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So there is nothing too difficult for him. All right, fourthly, we, we looked at El Olam, the everlasting God. Uh, and Isaiah 40 talks about that. He is the everlasting one. And I appreciate that. All right, uh, the third name here that we uh, looked at was the name Adonai, which means Lord. And uh, we have seen that quite a bit. And then the fourth name we studied was Jehovah. And the first real reference to that, I believe, is in Exodus chapter number 6. In verse number 3, it says, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And so uh, every time you see the, the name Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized, in the Bible, then that's a reference to Jehovah. Every time it's not capitalized, it's a reference to Adonai. Um, okay, now last Wednesday night we started talking about the compound names of Jehovah, and this is where we get some good, uh, I mean, these are, these are awesome. Uh, we looked first at the, the name Jehovah Jireh, and that means the Lord will provide. And we found that in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham offered his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, and he was about ready to throw the knife down into his son, and God called his name twice, Abraham, Abraham, stopped his hand, and, uh, and when he did, he noticed that there was a ram caught in the thicket. He took that ram and offered that as a sacrifice instead of his son. And the, Abraham said, Jehovah Jireh, in that moment, the Lord will provide. And I'm thankful for the fact that the Lord has provided so much for us. Uh, certainly, he has provided um, himself as a lamb. Uh, in Genesis 22, in verse number, um, I think... Uh, well, let me let me go there real quick. Genesis twenty-two. In verse number eight, uh, Abraham said, "My God, my son, God will provide Himself a lamb for a burnt offering." So they went both of them together, and yes, He did provide a ram caught in the thicket. But in a bigger picture sense of the Bible, God presented him or provided himself as a lamb on the cross of Calvary when he laid down his life for us. So uh, the Lord will provide and he had provided for Abraham and ultimately he would provide for all of us a way of salvation. And I'm grateful that he did that. He didn't have to. We certainly did not deserve it. Uh, but in his love and in his abundant grace, uh, he did provide himself as a lamb. But then 
he also provides all kinds of other things for us, doesn't he? doesn't he? He provides air for us to breathe. He provides health for us. He provides abundant blessings in our life. I mean, the family that you have, the church family that you have, and the material blessings that we have. Who has provided all of those? The Lord has. Because we know that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of light. Um, and so we know that he has provided all of those things. And so, again, when we need something, uh, he doesn't necessarily always provide our greeds. And we talked about that last time, too. Uh, he doesn't provide, you know, um, Seth, he's probably not going to provide you a, a plane today. But he could. He has the ability to provide a, um, you know, a brand new Mercedes Benz. That's when I was growing up. That was my big dream car. And then one Christmas, I got it. My grandfather got me a matchbox Mercedes Benz and gave it to me. And I was like, well, I did want, <laughs> I did want a brand new Mercedes Benz, and I got a brand new Mercedes Benz. Thank you so very much. And uh, that's probably the only brand new Mercedes Benz I'm ever going to get in my life. But hey, praise the Lord for that. So uh, he does provide for our needs, not always uh, the other things, the, the niceties. He doesn't always provide our luxuries, but he does provide our needs. And I'm grateful for that truth. Uh, he will take care of you. And uh, that is a good song and a good truth because he will take care of us. So Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. We spent some time last week talking about that. And then the, la the last one we looked at last week was Jehovah uh, Nisai meaning the Lord is my banner. And we looked at the fact that he is able to conquer enemies. He is able to um, defeat the enemies of God. And we looked at Revelation when uh, the last big uh, movement to try to overthrow Jesus uh, was going to be thwarted by Jehovah Night, Night, Nisai. <laughs> It's going to take me forever to remember how to say that. Jehovah Nisai is going to come in and just nonchalantly, the Bible says it, remember in, in Revelation 20, that uh, they're going to come and try to overthrow and this, this huge amount of people as the number of the sand of the sea or the sand uh, is what it says there in Revelation 20 is going to come against Jesus. It says, who, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and here it comes. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's Jehovah Nisai. The Lord is my banner. And when we are facing persecution, even as believers, uh, we need to remember that God, Jehovah Nisai, isn't just Jehovah Nisai, way back in, um, in the book of Exodus. He's going to be Jehovah Nisai in Revelation chapter 20 and everywhere in between as well. So we're safe. All right, but let's go ahead and go into the next ones here and, and, and try to wrap this up tonight. Uh, notice thirdly here, the next one, Jehovah Shalom. And most of us know what Shalom is. Uh, the Lord our peace. The Lord is peace. During the turbulent days of the judges, the angel of the Lord appeared to a discouraged man named Gideon in Judges chapter number 6. If you could go ahead and turn over there very quickly, Judges chapter number 6. Let's look at this instance here, Jehovah Shalom. 
Judges chapter 6 and verse number 12. Well, verse 11, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, <clears throat> Ophrah that pertained unto Joash, the Abizurite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. All right. And then in verse 16, it says, and the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with thee and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And then verse 24, um, then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it, well, let's back up to verse 23. The Lord said unto him, peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day, it is yet an Ophrah of the Abizrites. So Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Um, and the Lord Jehovah Shalom did indeed bring peace to Israel over the Ammonites through this warrior named Gideon and his 300 men uh, who were just blowing a, blowing a trumpet. Like, whoo, <laughs> that's so scary. And yet the Lord was able to do that. Um, and and it's, it's amazing. Okay, now our Lord Jesus would later, later day, would later, of course, become the bringer and giver of peace. And we know that Jesus' name, one of his names is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Okay, and in John chapter uh, 16, verse 33, you don't have to turn there, but I will. John 16, 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me, Jesus says, ye might have anxiety, fear, worry. No, that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So uh, Jesus is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord our peace. All right, so we have... Jehovah Shalom, meaning the Lord is our peace. He gives us the peace, peace with God, the peace of God. And the peace with God means having that relationship being made right with God. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding. A little bit, that's a little bit conditional too, by the way. Remember, we're to uh, bring our requests, make them known unto God with, all th with thanksgiving. And then, and only then, Will the peace of God keep our hearts, that passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus? We want that peace, but we don't want to take, our, we don't want to take the effort uh, and the discipline of bringing our requests before the Lord. Uh, but we, when we do, then that peace, the peace of God, is transferred to us, and I'm thankful for it. And it's hard to explain. And some of you who have gone through crazy situations... We're able to navigate through those with peace, without like all this frantic fear, and you're not panicking, you're not, what are we going to do? You just have this peace that, hey, God's going to take care of it. Why? Because you've taken that to the Lord, and you've been thankful, and God gives you this, the peace of God. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, the Lord our peace. Fourthly, 
Uh, what's the next one? Jehovah Sabbath, meaning the Lord of hosts. And I might be mispronouncing it. It might be Sabbath. But this is a reference to the captain of heaven's armies. Uh, turn your Bible to uh, Psalm 68. Psalm 68. We're going to look at a couple references in the book of Psalms here for this one. Psalm 68. Aren't these precious names of our Lord that help us to remember who He is and give us a little insight as to His character? Uh, names mean something. You know, your name may not, you know, your parents may have said, oh, that just sounds good when they named you. Okay, these names aren't just, you know, God just had a big, He didn't, he didn't have a name birthing book, you know, what do you name your kid and kind of flip and then just say, okay, we're going to do that one because it sounds good. No, they, he, these names mean something at reference to God's character. Okay, Psalm 68, you're there. Look in verse number 17. It says, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. This is a reference to the fact that God is over these uh, armies of angels. Okay, go to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. And find verse 4 in that. At the beginning of verse 4, it talks about the Lord... O, o Lord, my God, thou art very great, thou art closed, who, in verse 2, and then verse 3, who layeth the beams, and then verse 4, who maketh his angels, spirits, his ministers, a flaming fire. So again, he is the Lord of hosts, he is the Lord of these angels and his uh, ministers here. And then one more reference, uh, 148, go to Psalm 148. And then we're going to go to a very familiar passage, not in the book of Psalm, Psalms, that mentions the Lord of hosts. Psalm 148 in verse number 2. Verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, or praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him, all His angels, praise ye Him, all His hosts. So all His angels... And his hosts all belong to him, and he is the Lord of hosts. And then, if you want to go over a few books to uh, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, and verse number, th verse number 3, it says, One cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay, one more reference, and then... Um, one more reference I want you to turn to, uh, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter number 5. This is in the throne room of God. John is there. And in verse number 11 it says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was, 
10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Say, well, what, what is the exact number there? I think John's saying, look, don't try to do the math. It's an innumerable amount of angels that the Lord is over. It's an uncountable number. And in the New Testament, Christ himself is pictured as the leader of these angels. When Jesus was arrested, our Lord himself made an interesting comment when Simon Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest. Does anybody remember his name? The one, Malchus. <clears throat> Very good. Well, in Matthew chapter 26, here's what he says. He, Jesus says to Peter, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Does anybody remember what, how many is in a legion? 6,000. So uh, 12 times 6 is 72,000 angels. I mean, and he says, presently give me more than that amount of angels. So Christ is over all of them as well. And uh, just, we need to, we need to remember that uh, all these angels are under him and he is the Lord of those hosts, of that host. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, fifthly here, Jehovah Makadeshkem. And I don't know I'm saying that right. Um, I imagine there's a little more in it. Uh, but this means the Lord thy sanctifier, the God who desires to set his people apart. Go to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter number 31. In verse number 12. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generation that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Okay, so that name is there in the Hebrew, uh, Jehovah Makadeshim. The Lord, thy sanctifier. This great name of God, first mentioned in Exodus, appears many times in the book of Leviticus. To be sanctified is to be set apart, and that is what God desires to do for his people, to set them apart for a special service. In the New Testament, we read, we read how the great sanctifier set himself apart, that he might set apart the sanctified. Um, John 17, verse 19, here's... Here's a quick uh, reference. You don't have to turn there. I'll zip over there here real quick. John 17, verse number 19. says, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they, which by the way is us who are believers, also might be sanctified through the truth. So, he was sanctified, and then in order so that you and I could be sanctified, so that you and I could be set apart for his use. Second Corinthians, and we find this principle in the, you say, well, that's 
That's Old Testament, and that's in the Gospels. That's not in the New Testament. Yeah, it is. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 6 and verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their people. They, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. So Jehovah Makadeshim means the Lord who sanctifies and the Lord who desires to set his people apart. And he does want us to be different from the world. How are we going to reach them if we're not like them? Well, if we're just like them, why would they want what we have? There needs to be a difference. There needs to be some distinction as a Christian in every area of our life. I mean, the way we talk ought to be different than what the, how the world talks. And some of the words we use when we stub our toe or we have something bad happen to us ought to be different than what the world uses. We ought not take the Lord's name in vain. and We ought not to use profanity. Um, the entertainment, the things that occupy our mind and heart ought to be different than what the world uh, uses to occupy their time. Um, our outward appearance ought to be different than the world. Um, our, the music we listen to ought to be different than the world listens to, right? Uh, every area of our life ought to be different than the world. And God does want to separate us, not so we can walk around looking down our nose at people who aren't like us, not so that we could be spiritual Pharisees, no, 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 so that there would be a difference, okay? Now, can there be a problem with pride in all of this? You bet. Um, and we need to guard against that. But at the same time, that just because there's uh, a potential of pride doesn't mean we throw that out so that we're disobedient to God in other areas. Okay, so um, this particular name says that the Lord sanctifies us. All right. And the next one, uh, sixthly here, Jehovah Ra. And this is a precious one. The Lord is our shepherd. Can anybody guess where the reference on that one might be? 23rd Psalm. Look at that guy. Sharp as a tack. Okay. <laughs> well, mostly, I believe it. Psalm 23. David wrote this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How precious is that? The Lord, my shepherd. Of all the compound names of Jehovah, this is probably the most easily understood title. And it refers, of course, to the ultimate shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, uh, Jesus says he is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And he did do that for us on the cross of Calvary. And then Hebrews says he is the great shepherd, a reference to his resurrection. 
in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. 1 Peter 5, verse 4, Peter said he is the chief shepherd, a reference to his second coming. And perhaps, though, David said it best when he wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is not just the good shepherd, not just the great shepherd, not just the chief shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd tonight? Does he lead and guide you? Do you follow him when he does lead you and guide you? Do you trust him? Are you uh, content with him and where there's no other desires in your life? I mean, again, it's not wrong to have some godly desires, but when you just have a contentment that, look, I have nothing, I, I need nothing else. I have my, the Lord as my shepherd. And so as a result, I shall not want. Like, I'm content, I'm secure, I'm safe, I'm comforted in knowing that He is my shepherd. So, Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, next one, number seven here, Jehovah Sidkenu. And I believe that's how you say that. Jehovah Sidkenu, meaning the Lord our righteousness. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23 uh, let's go ahead and turn over there real quickly. Uh, we're, we're wrapping this up here. Jeremiah chapter 23. This is during the Babylonian, Babylonian captivity, and Jeremiah reassures those discouraged Jews in exile that God would one day both regather and restore his people to the promised land. And in doing so, he gives the official name for Jesus, the Messiah, who would rule and reign during the millennial reign of Christ. Jeremiah 23, verse number 3 says, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whither I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them. They shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. This is Jesus. In the millennial reign of Christ, verse 6 says, In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu. So he is the Lord our righteousness, and of course we can uh, talk about the fact that he came to get, give us his righteousness because um, our righteousness is his filthy rags. We need his righteousness so that as the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Christ and, and his righteousness in us so that he is able then to uh, allow us into uh, glory with him. So the Lord, our righteousness. Let's look at the next one here. Uh, number eight, Jehovah Shammah, meaning the Lord who is present. I'm so glad that the Lord is present in our life. In fact, uh, I'll give you a little. Um, this morning when I met with uh, Miss Teresa for her surgery, uh, Julie and I were in her um, hospital room as she was all prepped for surgery and 
and uh, they were supposed to be taking her in just a little while. It ended up being a lot longer. <laughs> uh, but when we were there, I opened the Word of God and I read to her Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. Let's turn over there just to try to encourage her as she was about ready to go into surgery. But when we're about ready to go into whatever we're going to go through, this is a wonderful truth. Psalm 46 in verse number 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very, what's the next word there? Present Present help in trouble. And because of that, verse 2 says, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, though all those things would happen, we're not going to fear. Why? Because verse 1 says he's our refuge and strength, and he's present. He's a very present help in trouble. And so I said, now, Teresa, you're about ready to go into surgery. And God's with you, and he's, he's not just present. The Bible says he's a very present help in time of trouble. And that same truth can be applied to the situation you're going through. He's there. He's very present. Now, as we consider this, uh, or I was thinking about uh, Psalm 23, we mentioned it a moment ago, Psalm 23 and verse number four, uh, we, we know that, you know, he's our shepherd. He leads us beside the still waters, green pastures, in his paths for righteousness, but then when, when he leads us into those valleys, uh, verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Because Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present. You think about it, the greatest thing about heaven isn't the streets made of gold so pure they're transparent. Not the mansions. Although, I mean, I'm looking forward to all this. The Crystal Sea, that'll be neat. The Pearly Gates, that'll be awesome. The greatest thing about heaven is the fact that Jesus is there. He is present. And the worst thing about hell is not necessarily the terrible pain and the, the fact that it's forever, but rather hell will be a place where Jesus Christ will com- be conspicuously absent through all all eternity. That's going to be the worst part of hell, is that Christ is not going to be there. And that's the best thing about heaven, the fact that Jesus is going to be there. So he is present. Now he's present as New Testament believers. He dwells within and he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And uh, let that be an encouragement to us that, hey, look, even when we're feeling like we're all alone, we're really not because he's with us. We're going through a difficult time. I will not fear for thou art with me. So let his presence encourage and comfort you in times of difficulty. All right, last one here. And then, and then one more major name, and then we'll wrap it up tonight. Um, letter I here, or number nine, Jehovah Rapha, meaning the Lord our healer. 
by this new name God introduced to Israel in terms of his heavenly Medicare health plan when, uh, while they were on their way to Canaan. If only they had accepted this gracious policy. The Israelites were challenged to obey God, and God would instruct them in every area of life, including health and nutrition, in order to keep them from disease and illness. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. So if you want to uh, look over there real quickly. Exodus 15, 26. And God said, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Jehovah Rapha. Now, God desires to heal many things in our life, he, or in, in this world. He desires to heal nations. He desires to heal backsliders. He desires to heal broken hearts. He most of all desires to heal sinful souls and bring spiritual healing in our life. Sometimes, but not all of the time, Jehovah Rapha heals humans, human bodies. It's not always God's will to heal broken bodies belonging to believers. If that's the case, then our reaction should be that of the Apostle Paul when God, God chose not to heal him from the thorn in his flesh. And he had a good spirit about it. He had a good attitude. He said, hey, I will actually um, glory in my infirmities is what he said there. And uh, he, he said, hey, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm going to actually glory. And he said... Um, uh, yeah, verse number nine, uh, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Okay. Raise your hand if you have arthritis. Okay. Um, raise your hand if you have a bad back. Raise your hand if you can't really raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> Ms. Doris, raise your hand, okay? <laughs> um, okay, we all, we all have, as we get older, right, our body begins to break down, and we don't, we, our infirmities. Paul said, I take pleasure in infirmities. How many of you go, ooh, I'm so thankful that I have arthritis. Ooh, I'm so thankful I, my body sounds like Rice Krispies every time I get out of bed, snap, crackle, pop, you know. Uh, I'm so thankful that, you know, I can't do what I used to be able to do. Uh, but Paul said, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions. He says, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, praise the Lord, God does many times, sometimes heal. And uh, maybe you've been a part of that where God's touched and healed you. Uh, maybe a family member or a friend God touched and healed them. Well, that's Jehovah Rapha. And sometimes he chooses not to. But either way, he's good. Um, okay, one more reference on this, Malachi 4 and 1. This is a, this is a great little reference here. Um, if you can find Matthew and go back to Malachi, it says, For behold... Chapter 4, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, 
And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. There's the Lord of hosts in that verse. But then verse 2 says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. The last one, and this is, we alluded to it last last week in Exodus uh, chapter number 3, and that is, I am that I am. I am that I am. Exodus 3 and verse number 14, God said unto Moses, and when Moses said, hey, what am I supposed to say when they say, all right, well, uh, who has sent you, you know? Um, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto him, well, what's his name? What, what shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. This name emphasizes the fact that God is the one and only self-existing eternal creator. There is no past or future with him. He is the eternal present I am that I am encompasses all that God is. Because God is the I am, he can be trusted explicitly. God revealed himself by this name to Moses and Israel in the context of his promise to redeem them from Egypt. And Moses asked God how he would convince the Jews that he was sent by God and that God would fulfill his word. He replied, you're going to say, I am, have sent me unto you. And then later, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, and we looked at these Last year, we went through the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ. When he said, um, I am, can somebody help me? What are some of the I am statements of Christ? I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. So that's actually one, even though that's three. Um, but that's one. Three and one. Okay, so I am the, the light of the world. And by the way, that's the only one that, he tells us that we are the light of the world, too. Okay? What's another one? I am the, the bread of life. Okay? I am the vine, the true vine. I am the, they're getting harder, <laughs> the door. I am the good shepherd. And then finally, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, now John 18, one more, and I love this one, and then we'll end with this. John 18, verse number one, we'll just kind of read this little passage here. John 18, 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples, okay? Quick context, this is right after the upper room, right before he is going to be crucified. Verse 2, Judas also which betrayed him knew the place, for Jesus, Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men, and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees come thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And Jesus saith unto them, I am he. I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. But notice verse number six. As soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. So this group of men come with uh, what's, what it says here in verse number three, lanterns, torches, and weapons. I mean, this was a very intimidating group. And they come and they're ready to take Jesus captive. Jesus says, who are you looking for? He said, well, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And it was dark, so you can kind of understand why they didn't recognize him. And he speaks up in the midst of all of it and says, I am he. And verse 6 says, as soon as he said that, they went backward and fell to the ground. What was he saying there? He was saying, I am that I am. He's saying, I am the eternal God. I am the self-existing one, the eternal creator. So they all fell down under that power. In verse 7, they get up. In verse 7, then he asks them again, whom seek ye? And they're like, we really don't want to say this time. <laughs> Last time it didn't work out so good for us. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth? And then verse 8, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. And he gives himself up. He lays down his life. Showing the power there that, look, these guys had no power, even though they had the lanterns, even though they had the torches, even though they had the weapons. They were nothing against him. He could say, I'm he, and they would just poof. He could have said, be gone, and they would have poof, disappeared. But because he knew he had to go through uh, the sacrifice, he went through it. Um, but uh, this was an instance he said, I am he. Powerful stuff. The names of God. Hopefully these have been encouraging, challenging, convicting. Um, who, that tells us a little bit about, a little bit more about who our God is. Um, well, with that, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And then we'll take a few moments here for some prayer requests.